Hello, how y'all doing? Amen. Well, um, that last song we were singing, the only reason we can sing that song is a covenant God made with us. It's the new covenant in Christ's blood. Amen? Well, we're in Genesis going back to basics, and we're going to see a first covenant or a, a covenant God made back there with, uh, with Noah. Thank you. I keep wanting to say Jonah for some reason. For Noah, and uh, I've had trouble with words today, names, so I apologize if, if I mess up a name or something like that. But we're, we're looking at this because when last we left Noah, he was worshiping at an altar. And that was a picture, but there it is. Okay. And so today I call the sermon a new beginning because God has destroyed the world by water. And now there is a new start, a new beginning. Now the problem is that starting over was still a man fallen in sin, right? So we've got to, you know, Adam, when he was created, he was perfect. But this guy is not perfect. Noah is not perfect. He has sin in his life. Uh, because he was a descendant of Adam. So God obviously did not mean that the new world that he creates now is going to have perfect people in it. So he makes a covenant early on. So we're going to see that. There's three, at least three big things happening here uh, today that we will see. And that it has fingers in just almost everything of, that's part of our life. And so, so I want you to see that uh, as we go. Uh, and, and here, as I said, we find uh, Noah. I'm going to struggle all day with that now. We find Noah uh, worshiping the Lord right after he gets off the ark. And God comes and God speaks to him. So we've had God's judgment and now a new beginning. But as I said, there is still sin because Noah is a fallen man, a descendant of Adam. And so many times in our life, we have, God brings in a, a correction. I'm not, I'm not going to hesitate to use the word judgment, because all of our sin was judged in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ and a follower of Christ. But, but God brings correction. Pastor Andy started the service today, reading out of Galatians, and there was a list there that says, if you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, which are these, and then there's this long list. And that long list can be broken down to several categories, sexual sin, uh, uh, worshiping the wrong God, uh, bad attitudes, I call those Baptist sins, um, indulgence in my appetite, overeating or indulging in pleasures of, of my flesh in any way. And then there's another one over in the book of Ephesians, a greed or desire for uh, things that you didn't earn that God doesn't want you to have. And it says, and when we, when we habitually practice those things, we have no hope of heaven. It says, those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very plain scripture. So if you are living a defeated life, living in one of those areas of sin, you've got no comfortable place to lay down and rest and think you're going to heaven. God wants to deal with you. He wants to help you. He wants to help you overcome. And today I'm going to apply this in some ways that may touch in your life in a very painful area. I, I hope not. I, I went to a new doctor this week. I went to a dermatologist. Never done that in my life. She walked in and said, uh, what brings you in? I said, I'm 61 and Celtic and I got this skin and so I came for you to check it out. She said, I understand. I said, she said anything particular? I said, yeah, I got this spot on my thumb right here and it just, it keeps growing a scab but it, but it won't heal. I know that sounds gross, doesn't it? And she looked at it and said, oh, that's cancer. I'll get that. <laughs> and cut it off. I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> okay, so uh, it's like, she, we'll biopsy that, see what, what it is. That sometimes you just need somebody to go, that's bad, and cut it off and get rid of it, right? And, and so that's, that's kind of what happened. I, I don't know if it's cancer or not. Don't everybody go, oh, you poor thing. I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, you know, I, I am, I, I, this is going to apply later. I'm so white it ain't funny, right? Like all of my relatives are Viking, Scottish, Irish people. And so, you know, people say, did you go to the beach? No, I went and got the mail without putting on sunscreen. So I got burned. So, you know, that's just kind of how it works for me. So, uh, but anyway, so there's always, when God brings a correction and, and, he, and he has to deal in our life, and sometimes that's painful. Sometimes we go through very painful things, and then God brings us to a place, a new opportunity that he wants to redeem that and use it in, to his glory. Second Corinthians says that some of the things we go through, we go through them so that once God brings us through them, we can help somebody else that's going through them. You with me? Second Corinthians 1, you can read it for yourself. It's in there, 1 and 2, both, both those chapters. And, and, and so after judgment comes... A new opportunity until the final judgment. And that's what I want you to take home with you today. There's always a new opportunity to serve God until the final judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. There's coming a day when we will be judged for our life finally. Now, for the believer, there's good news. That was judged by, in Christ on the cross. I've already been through that judgment. It happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. That Jesus died for my sin. So when I stand before God, I do not have to wonder about my sin. It is covered by the blood of Christ. But I will have a different kind of judgment where uh, the Bible says we'll be judged for what we did in our body, whether good or evil. And it will be judged in the light of what God did in our life. And the stuff that I did for myself will be burned up. But God will reward me for what he did in my life. Isn't that amazing? We got a generous God. He does it, then he gives us a reward for doing it. And that's why the Bible says that we'll take off those crowns and throw them at his feet, for he alone is worthy. For he did the good stuff in our life, he did it through us. So we're going to see kind of a basis of this today. But having said that, I want you to catch on to something in case you didn't. And that is, if you have not come to Christ, repented of your sin, said to God, I want you to take over my life. I want to do your will, not my own will. You not, I want to be a follower of Christ. If you haven't done that, you only have a final judgment to look forward to. And I would, I would that you would not have to face judgment for heaven or hell. You say, well, I think I'm good enough. It was not a matter whether, well, it doesn't matter whether you're good enough or not, but I, I, I just got some news for you. Even though I don't know you, I know you're not good enough. Because here's the standard God set. God said the standard is perfection. It says be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that, that means, let me see, nobody gets in. And so Christ came and lived a perfect life and died in our place so that we could come to know him. And God is on our side, not because we're good, but because he is good and he paid for our sin. That's the new covenant he made in his blood. Again, I'll cover that in just a second. So, I want you to, to see all that. And so, let, let's look at the scripture together. I want to read the first, uh, we're in Genesis chapter 9. I want to read just the first verse and then pray. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, and that's going to lead us into what God said. So let's pray together. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we come to you. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you. You loved us enough that, that you would send Jesus to die for our sin. Jesus, we thank you. You loved the Father enough to come and live that perfect life and die in our place on the cross. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. You loved us enough to send the Holy Spirit to 
speak to us of your word, to open our understanding, to know what it is you told us in your word. Lord, may we understand your word perfectly and understand it uh, in, in the name of Jesus, that we would understand exactly what you are saying to us. And Lord, when we do understand it, may we obey and obey quickly. And we thank you. Amen. Well, we, we come to this today, and, and as I said, Noah is worshiping the Lord, and God bless Noah and his sons. And here's what he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He commands them to multiply in verse 2 uh, after blessing them. He blessed them, said, I want you to multiply. Now, I think that's interesting. Excuse me, I've been talking for a couple hours now. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is, um, we live in a society today, a time today, where people say there's too many people on the earth. We need less people. That is not the opinion of God. He says, be fruitful, multiply. He never backed off of that. Secondly, you've got to have a man and a woman to multiply. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. And that's going to lead us into something a little bit later called a rainbow. All right? Uh, but here again, you can't get into this without seeing the plan of God. Because, listen... There is nobody in here perfect. I, I've said that. I'm going to say it again. There's nobody accepted from that. I'm not. You're not. Nobody is. All of us have sin in our life. And so there, there is failures in all of our lives. And, 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 and we may talk about some common failures today. And, and I don't mean to personally offend anybody. But, but here's the deal. God sets up a standard and he never changes the standard. So many times when, when in society and governments, we set up a standard, and then when people don't meet the standard, we change the standard so it looks like everybody's meeting it. And then when they don't meet that standard, we change it again. This is called, uh, this is how we degrade into sin. God never changes this standard. If nobody obeyed God's standard, it would still be God's standard. Hence, a flood. There is coming a final judgment of this plan. God's going to do that a lot later. But, but for all of us, we will face this judgment. And so, so God made some rules. And one of the rules is one woman, one man for one lifetime. Now, in my life, my family's life, um, it, it, there's been divorce. It, that happens. It happens because of sin. But that's not God's standard. That's not his perfect will. But it does happen. But I know people that have been divorced and, and God has redeemed them. God has helped them through that. God has got them to a place where now they can serve God with, with joy. So I'm not, I'm not saying God's through with you. That's just, but that's an example of the fall of man. But, but so many times we want to make less of it than God does. Marriage is very important. Marriage is important for a couple of reasons. One, it's God's command. It's God's standard. It doesn't change. Secondly, it is a picture of who God is. God said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis 1 and 2, right? Amen? Yeah, that's how it works. And that is a picture of God. For God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. He is one God. And so it is a picture, and God says, so I, I don't want you to divorce. He says, I hate divorce. But then he says, but because of your sin, Moses grants this, this exception. There's, there are things in the Bible where uh, you, you're not guilty of the penalty of it. But, but this is God's standard, and God's standard never changes. That's what we strive for. That's what we want our kids to hit. We, that's what we want everybody. Why? Because that is the best for us. That is the healthiest for us. That is, that is how it works better. 
But when somebody has a problem, and this is a very common thing, so I'll, I'll just speak of it that way, uh, so that we can apply it to anything. What does God desire? He desires repentance so that he can, we can understand, Lord, we take this seriously, you take this seriously. I, I don't want this, but this is what's happened. I'm not going to do it again. And then God can redeem us so that we can serve him. But we have to come to him and recognize it's sin. I've got different sins than that. I don't have that sin. My wife asked me one time, well, if I did go crazy and decide to leave you, what would you do? I said, I'd go with you. <laughs> but this is going to get into the nature of covenant a little bit later on. Because, because I made a covenant with God and her to be married. And if she breaks the covenant, it does not release me to break the covenant. A covenant means I've got to keep my side whether she does or not. And she made the same covenant. Whether I do or not, she keeps her side. That's the nature of a covenant. God's going to make a covenant with Noah a little bit later on. It's, it'd be interesting to see. And so God says to multiply and replenish the earth. And so if you are married and you're struggling, I want to also tell you, man, listen, there's hope. There's help. We want to help you. If, you, if you've been through it and you're struggling, you've been through it before, if you're divorced, remarried, whatever, and you're having struggles and you're just like, I just don't know what to do. Listen, there's help, there's hope. God wants to help you, and, and that's why we're here. We're here to help people heal and come to, to where God uh, wants you to be. Uh, th there's only one unforgivable sin, and that is calling what God does satanic. And uh, that's found in Mark. And, and uh, if you do that, you're, you're in big trouble, and you've got you, you to gotta be really warped to do that, but people get that way. And, and so I want you to see that, that, that God calls us to multiply, and that takes a man and a woman. This is the will of God that we have children. And then there's a change in the nature of our relationship to animals. Look uh, again in verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Now, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. One is, animals weren't afraid of people before the flood. Now, the dinosaurs didn't live long after the flood because as I described in past sermons, the whole world changed, the climate of the world changed, and they could not exist long enough to get big enough to reproduce. That's why they died. Because it took a constant hot temperature day and night around the world for dinosaurs to exist because of the nature, they're cold-blooded and they're big. And uh, I know that from alligators. I grew up where they're alligators. And it's got to be hot at night as well as day for an alligator to live long enough to get big enough to have babies. It's that simple. Reptiles are smaller because that's, they got to live in a certain place now and they can only, uh, they have to get a certain size. So what I'm saying is, so before this, we always see, you know, movies and all that. Everybody's running from Tyrosaurus Rex, right? Yeah, well, we don't know that before the flood, that wasn't just Fido in the backyard. Now, there might have been carnivorous animals, but there were no carnivorous people. People didn't eat meat before the flood. According to this, they ate plants. We were plant-based, purely plant-based. And they lived a thousand years, so I'm just saying. All right? So there, there, there's that. And, and, but, but notice this change. Now they, there's a fear of them. They, they fear men. They are away from us. And God says, but you can eat any of them you want to catch or try to kill. Now, that's going to lead into something, but understand what he's saying. I think it's interesting. Before the law that we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God said you can eat any of it. 
When the law came about, he said, don't eat snakes, don't eat lizards, don't eat turtles, don't eat rats. See, all that, you go, I didn't want to eat that anyway. He also says, don't eat pigs, so you don't get bacon. Don't eat shrimp, <laughs> don't eat lobsters. Those are also in the law. Why did he do all that? Well, here's why. Because he wanted Israel to look different than everybody else. And so Israel had a special set of dietary laws. By the way, those are very good dietary laws. They'll help you be a lot healthier. But God said, do you want to build up cholesterol? Go for it. I don't care. Just eat what you want. And he released man to eat any animal that existed. I, that part about creeping on the ground kind of freaks me out, though. Like, you know, I know people can eat like little centipedes and all, but I, I'm not into that. So anyhow, so... Everything, all these animals have, get a fear of men and every moving thing is now food for us. And I, I rejoice in that because I do like my bacon. But look at verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. God is laying down a principle here. He says life is in the blood. He says it again in the law. He says life is in the blood. That is how we live. You drain a man of his blood, he's going to die. He cannot live without that. I can live without certain organs and certain appendages, but I cannot live without my blood, obviously. And so for us, that's a well dub, but God is letting them know life is in the blood. And, and it's interesting, if you look into any pagan religions and, and, and the occult, you see this almost worship of blood. They drink blood. They, they, they bathe themselves in blood. They, they take it into themselves with a very uh, animistic belief. And, and by the way, there's God and there's everything else. There's Christianity, there's the Bible, and there's all other things, okay? We, it's very exclusive. And, and so all these other things... Blood is, is a big part of it because they believe that you're taking in the life source of that animal. And they're right. That is the life of that animal. So they believe you get the spirit of the animal, all this kind of weird stuff. God says don't do it until the New Testament. And then Jesus said, drink this, it's my blood. Now, was it his blood? No, it was wine, right? Baptists are unbiblical because we don't drink wine, right? But Jesus gave him wine and said, drink this, it's my blood. He said, eat this bread, it's my body. It wasn't his body, it wasn't his blood. But he was making a point that you will be taking my life into you. His blood that was shed is the life of God for us. I would even ask you the question, where is that blood that Jesus shed on the cross? I asked this, I think, just a few weeks ago. I'll give you the answer again. It is, seat, it is placed on the mercy seat in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant that Moses makes after this, a long time after this, Moses built a replica of the one in heaven. He let Moses see it and said, build a box that like, looks like that. So he did. He built a box that looks like the mercy seat in heaven. Two angels in heaven and guarding it. So the one on earth that he built have two golden angels with their wings touching because they are guarding that place. The Bible tells us that Jesus, after offering his sacrifice on the cross, took his blood, walked into the holy of holies in heaven, and put his blood on the mercy seat. The blood that flowed through the body of Jesus when he was on earth is sitting on the mercy seat in heaven right now speaking for me, that blood that was shed covers my sin. Thank you. That's what I think. Woo! I'm telling you, that last song, we were singing it. I got a vision of revelation, man. And there was a multitude, cannot be counted, in heaven just singing. We just had a moment there, y'all. We went to church for just a second. It was good. We were just singing. That's, I can't wait. I was like, Lord, just take us all now. That'd be awesome. We won't even have to break the song. We'll just keep singing when we get there. But 
but right now that blood is shed for me. And so here he says, don't drink blood out of an animal. Don't eat the meat raw. Don't, don't pour it out and then drink it. So that sounds awfully gross. I know, but people do it. He said, don't do it. He, and he told us this, not only for that, but also for respect for life. It all points to Christ. But he wants us to respect life. How do I know that? Look what he says. I gave it to you as food, but don't, don't drink the blood. And then in verse 5, and for your lifeblood, I require a reckoning. Every beast I will require, uh, from every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I'll require reckoning for the life of a man. And in case you didn't get it, he says it very plainly. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God expects us to have a respect for life. He expects us to have a respect for animal life. We're not to abuse animals. We're not to torture animals. We're not to annihilate animals. We can kill them and eat them. But that is for our sustenance, keep us alive so that we can continue. But we still are supposed to have some respect for that. But the Bible says anybody that kills a man is going to be held accountable for it. And so if a gorilla kills me, you're supposed to kill the gorilla. If a lion kills me, you're supposed to kill the lion. If a bear kills me, you're supposed to kill the bear. You don't go, oh, that poor creature, it just didn't know any better. No, kill it. There's a reason it no longer fears man. And when you kill a man, notice what he says after that, verse 7. I'm sorry. He says in verse 6, For God made man in his own image. When you kill a man, you're desecrating the image of God. You're rebelling against God, saying, I don't count as your creation as anything, so you're free to kill it. There are exceptions to that in the Bible, and they're this. When you are defending your country, when you're defending your life, or life of your loved ones, uh, or if you are placed in power, the government to take the life of someone who took the life of another. So if you're against capital punishment, I hate to tell you, God's for it. I don't hate to tell you, that's, God is for it. God says, if a man sheds man's blood by men, his blood will be shed. Notice by men. You don't step back and go, oh, God's going to get you. No, the government's supposed to come get you for that. It's, it's just a fact. And so we, we need to be careful about that. But again, I come back to the blood of Christ. Uh, let me ask you, based on that scripture, you, you don't have to agree with me about any of what I just said, but based on that scripture, that scripture is true, and I believe it is, but you don't have to. Would it be right for a government to make a law that anybody that kills a human life ought to be put to death? Including 2,500 preborn humans a day? You say, are you calling for the death penalty for abortion doctors? No. I didn't write it, though. I'm not, it, it, that's not my responsibility, either. That's given to the government to do. You've got to understand that. We want to make laws. We want to do that. But don't get sucked into this modern idea of thinking. Right now, there's a contradiction. Because we are, they're, they're debating laws about... 
well, in most places it is a law. If you kill a pregnant woman, you're guilty of two murders. Unless you go to a doctor and want to do it. Women do not have a right. It's not their body. It's another person that's living in their body by God's design. Be fruitful and multiply and don't mar the image of God by killing it. Just saying. Told you it's going to be uncomfortable at points here. Here's another thing. God makes a covenant. Look at this. And a reminder. God said to Noah's sons, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. Now I told you the nature of a covenant. Each party says what they will do. If the other party doesn't do what it says it will do, what it would do, the for other the party that is still keeping the covenant has to keep keeping the covenant. You don't get out of it just because they failed. So if my wife did get crazy and leave me, I still got to take care of her. That's God's call on my life. I'm supposed to still love her. I'm supposed to still provide for her. I'm supposed to still take care of her until she dies or I die. That's the law of God in Romans 7. As long as the other party's alive, you're responsible to keep the covenant. So God says, no, I'm going to make a covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you. God made a covenant with animals, with the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. He didn't say there would not be a flood. He said there won't be a worldwide flood. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature and all flesh that is on the earth. Point number one, that is not, I don't believe God changed the laws of physics right here. Could there have been a rainbow before the flood? Of course there could. Because light refracted through the water vapor creates a rainbow. But it didn't rain before the flood. There was a canopy of water that stayed up. And so we don't have that kind of moisture with the sun. And if the sun did come through there, that water was so thick it didn't reflect so that you could see it in the sky. Afterwards, you got spots with heavier water content creating clouds and when that happens you got water vapor all up in the sky the light coming through creates a rainbow you with me you go so what well I just think it's funny that a group of people who want to indulge in a certain type of sin adopted a rainbow as a sign it ain't your sign well you got the wrong one anyway because you only got six colors in it there's seven in the rainbow Roy G. Biv. Y'all know that, right? That's the colors of the rainbow. You know why there's six? Because they wanted to have a parade one day and they wanted to have an even number going down each side of the street so they took one color out. I read so much about the flag and the rainbow, I'll never get that hour and a half back. I'm just telling you, okay? I wonder, why did they pick a rainbow? Well, before they had a couple other signs, but they wanted one sign for all people that wanted to indulge in some sort of sexual perversion. So, somebody, they used to have a race flag, and they had every color of the races, black, white, red, yellow, and brown. And if that offended you, I'm sorry, they did it, I'm just reporting it, okay? 
And they said, that's a good idea. So they got the colors of the rainbow. They assigned meanings to the colors. So they took out one color, one of the meanings, and now it's six. Which I think is interesting because six is traditionally the number of men. Seven is the number of God. So man's rainbow. But it's still not your rainbow. Look again at verse 17. Uh, not 17, uh, 16. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. God made himself a reminder. Wait a minute, God, really, are you forgetful? I mean, I make lists, and then I got to make a list to remember where my list of lists is. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, I, I, I make reminders and I miss the reminders. God doesn't need a reminder, but God says, I'm going to make a reminder. And when we see it, it's not that, oh yeah, we remember. It's, wow, God is remembering the covenant he made. He's not going to kill us all by water. God took that effort on himself. And the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant that he will not kill men by all men by fire ever again or all living creatures so the animals get the same promise we do in that covenant and they don't even know what to do except live and die and live till they do die and that's what we're supposed to do as well and so God said to Noah in verse 17 this is a sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh that's on the earth and then one other big thing happens and that is this Noah gets drunk the sons of Noah went forth verse 19 uh, from the ark were uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. That becomes important in a minute. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these people, the whole earth were dispersed. And Noah began to be a man of the soil. And that doesn't mean he wasn't a farmer before. It just means he went back to it. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, I'm thinking that had to take some time. You know, you got to plant it. You got to grow it, you got to collect the fruit, you got to process it, you got to let it ferment, then you drink it. So I don't know how long that takes, but I'm thinking it's a long time. Ooh, vintage wine. What year is this? One? Oh, yeah, thank you. All right, so I don't know. But he gets so drunk, he's naked in his tent. And then look what happens in verse uh, 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid on both their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke from the wine, he knew what the youngest son had done. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be a servant. A couple of things. One is, God didn't curse. Noah cursed. Noah created this curse. So I, therefore, I don't even count it as binding, number one. Number two, I, I mean, it could be. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I don't think so. But here's number two. Why didn't he curse Ham? He didn't. He cursed his son, Canaan. It's believed Canaan might have been the youngest son of Ham. Ham was the youngest son of Noah. And it might have been Noah just in a rage said, well, you're my baby. I'm going to curse your baby. That's very possible. But what is the sin of Ham? I mean, number one, just coming from where I'm coming from, go, oh, he saw his dad naked. Big deal. No, his dad had lost control of himself, gotten drunk, and was naked. It was a shameful thing. Dad, you lost your facility. You, you're doing something crazy here. 
But Ham didn't go in and go, oh no, dad's naked and cover him up. Ham went and went, look at dad and runs out and tells his brothers. He wants to report the bad thing that, Noah, that Jonah did. Jonah, Noah did. I, I told you I was going to do that all day. Noah did. It sounds like Facebook. Gossip is not telling a lie. Gossip is telling something that nobody else needs to know. That's why I don't look at Facebook. I don't need to know all that. I've been so happy since I quit looking at Facebook. I recommend it. And it's kind of interesting. The Bible says the other two brothers turned their face away. They're not going to look at Facebook and they back up. And drop it back on their dad. And he blesses them and he curses Ham's son. Let me just tell you something. This text has been used by a lot of people in a lot of places to condemn a certain or certain races of people. Not singular, plural. Number one, there's nothing in this biblical text that supports that. Nothing. There are those that would, we, the word racist is misused today so much that nobody knows what it means. But if you're racist, that means you believe one race is superior or inferior to another. That's, that's the definition of racist. It's not racist if you call me a white guy. I am a white guy. You're just stating a fact. Not a racist comment, okay? But when I assume that a certain group of people, because of the color of their skin or where they're from, is inferior or superior to me, that is racist. Number one. Number two, scientifically... Well, biblically, let's start biblically. These three boys, everybody came from these three boys. And all these three boys came from their daddy, Noah. Not Jonah, Noah. Right? Every genetic feature or, or code that creates the different looks of men around the world is in Noah. And these three boys. Period. Period. Scientifically, you go look at the DNA of different people around the world that look differently on the outside. What you're going to find is we are all of one kind, to use the Bible word. There's only one species of man, Homo sapien. Monkeys are not included. We don't have subspecies of people that look different than the way you look. We are all exactly alike. Was there natural selection? Yes. Some of those people, maybe where they lived, some maybe were able to survive better. We can understand that. Climate changing around the world after the flood, all of that. And so some people look this way, some people look that way. Maybe it was just a thing of after the Tower of Babel that People that could talk alike, looked alike, and they went off together, and that's how it worked. I don't know exactly, but I do know this. Scientifically speaking and working backwards, we all came from the same guy, and there's no difference in our codes other than the minor things that make me have red hair and white skin and burn bad in the summer. And that's it. So if you are racist or bigoted, bigoted is when you hate people that look differently than you. You are in sin because you hate and mar the image of God. Period, plain, that's it. You go, I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you think. So there. 
we have no place to hate any group of people for how they look or where they're from. God has called us as believers in Christ because he's pointing to the new covenant in his blood that all those who take of that covenant are brothers and sisters in the same family, the family of God. We are all men that are lost and need a Savior. There is one Savior, and he did not come to save one race or one group of people. He came to save everybody. The Great Commission was not going to a certain group of people and preach the gospel. It was to go to every creature and preach the gospel. And that's what God calls us to do. And here's the beginning. Right here with these three boys. We'll see it more in the Tower of Babel as we move forward. Well, what can you do with any of this today? And by the way, the last verse, Noah dies, 950 or 30, 950 years old. Man, that's a long time to live. But remember the climate changes. People's lifespans are going to shorten quickly. First of all, I'd say do a kindness for somebody that's struggling. Listen, I mentioned different kinds of sin. I did not mention any of mine. Because I didn't want you to know about them. I'm smiling, y'all. That's a joke. What I'm saying is, just because somebody sins different than you doesn't make them worse. You might be the worst one. It's not our job to judge in a, in a hateful way. It's our job to say, listen, I want to help you. I want to pray for you. I want to walk with you until you and God can get this worked out. So, do a kindness for someone who's struggling. Someone who is struggling in, in, in some area. They're in trouble. They don't know where to go. And they're too embarrassed to say anything. But somehow you know. Go to them and say, listen, I'm here to help you. And help them. Secondly, trust God's covenant. Especially the one Christ bought for us. Christ bought our redemption. All the other covenants, they're not going to save you forever. The only covenant that saves us forever is the covenant Jesus made when he died on the cross. So that we could be saved. So trust that covenant. If you're lost today, trust that. Trust Christ. And then thirdly, maintain respect towards your parents and authority. Ham did not respect his dad. And we live in a society today that does not respect authority. We live in a time where everything is up for grabs. It's a very uh, upheaval time in our society here in America today. And so I, I recommend that you show kindness to people no matter what. And you give them respect. You say they don't deserve it. The Bible doesn't say they needed to deserve it. He said do it. Respect your parents. Respect those in authority. These are verses in the Bible that we need to follow. Well, I wish I had a month to do chapter 9. There is so much packed in those few verses that it leads to so many other things throughout Scripture. And so I, I hope that you will let God speak to your heart about these things. And that you would, you would follow him. What would it look like if all of us decided, man, I want to follow God. I want to be what God wants me to be, knowing that none of us are perfect, none of us are right, and so we want to help those that are struggling. The Bible says in Galatians, when you see a man overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such one with the spirit of meekness, lest you too become a castaway. Because listen, we are just that close to really messing it up, and we need God's grace to keep us where we need to be. There's nobody that wakes up perfect. We are all in need of the grace of God every minute of every day. And when you want the grace of God for yourself but don't want it for someone else, I doubt you understand the grace of God at all. You need to live in the grace of God and you need to give the grace of God to others. So let's pray. Father, indeed, we are sinners. Lord, 
I, I'm bringing this message because it's your message, but God, I am not exempt from this message, Lord. I need it worse than anybody in this building, probably. And so, Lord, may I know your grace, and may I share your grace, and may I give grace to others. Lord, I pray that we would all encourage each other, pray for each other. Occasionally, we need to be reminded of the seriousness of sin. Lord, it's so serious. You said that if a man kills a man, you call upon the officials to kill the person who kills someone else. You said kill the animal kills the man. Lord, you take this stuff seriously. You, you want us to, to be married and reproduce. You want us to walk in your ways. You want us to love you. We, you want us to respect those that do, even though they mess up because they're in authority. And so, Lord, I, I pray that it's not, a, it's not a we ignore sin and it's not that we're called to judge sins. We're called to help people that need help to know the grace of God to get through. So, Lord, I pray that we would be people that would do that in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I pray for people here today. There might be someone listening. They might hear this recording later. They, they might be with us in this building right now that need the grace of God in their life. And God, I just pray that you would speak to their heart and their, their life. And may they know that, that there are people here that can show unconditional love by the grace of God. For we have received unconditional love from him, from you. And so, Lord, may we give what we've been given. May we share what we have in abundance. That we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that your will will be done in our life and the life of Calvary Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen.